The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. It's all, it's all a lie. It's all <laughs> it's a, fucking uh, planned obsolescence is what it yes, is. Yes, that it really is. Um, if not on Intel's part, certainly on Microsoft's part, they're full of shit. Uh, I've been listening to you long enough. I think they could just create a computer to that would last for decades, probably, and just update it every all the time. But, yeah. Or, or if they made parts modular, you know, where you could swap things in and out as they sort of break yep. down but they are probably a lot less modular i mean laptops i guess i guess you sacrifice some of that with portability i remember back in the day those the the, the gateways and all like the you know the big towers and those are pre- i think those are pretty modular mm-hmm. of course you sacrifice some of that but i mean eventually you can make advancements even on the on the mobile end. i mean yeah maybe when it first came out but if they wanted to i guess the incentives aren't there I mean, yeah, making I mean, mobile stuff less modular. You know, you can't even take the back off it now or replace. Yeah, the, I mean, it was never really modular, but it's even less no, like you no. can't even get access to battery. Yeah, which, which right. I mean, you know, I get kind of like you do sacrifice that, but like you said, you could potentially do that with these laptops. Yeah, yeah, there, there is, there is a company. I think it's called the Foundation Laptops or whatever. It's something like that. Um, and they do make upgradable, replaceable part laptops they're 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 pretty but you pay for that like it's expensive um but they are pretty nice uh to be able to do that but really yeah i mean yeah there's it's all software is what makes really the obsolescence the hardware this this shit really can last forever i mean especially like even apple's stuff like those computers could go 20 years easy and it's just the software that that lies to it you know, and says, oh, no, we need more power when, no, you're doing the same thing you did 20 years ago. There's no reason for that. It's just BS. Anyway. I mean, if they <laughs> wanted to, I would think they could make this software, like, I don't know, upgradable, updatable, whatever the thing. You Even if you had to slide a disk into your computer to, like, boot up new software or some shit, you know, I mm-hmm. don't know. Like yeah. you said, the hardware should last forever. You should be able to keep that thing going for year, years at least. I don't know. but Yep. No, there, there's computers that have literally been running for over 20 years and they've right. never even rebooted um you know there, there's yeah there's it's all bullshit it's anyway. like that it's like that picture i know we're turning this into sovereign tech and, <laughs> but it's like that meme where it shows like the refrigerator from like the 70s and it's like yep. 
I am old as time itself. I just, <laughs> I will never die. I still run. You know, it's just like things are getting worse as time goes oh, yeah. on. Oh, yeah. No, we, we, had, we had a, I remember growing up, we had a Maytag refrigerator that was from 1961. We called right. it the Guardian of Forever. <laughs> just, seriously and I, as far as i know last time i was in new york which was over 10 years ago but it was still working probably you know, still working was, yeah. yeah 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 probably went through working. a few condensers in the meantime but yeah yep, oh sure running. yeah you gotta yeah. clean out behind it and whatever but man yep. you're not gonna kill that thing no no it'll outlive both of us i know everybody's like well even me like complaining how, do, how does indiana jones survive a nuclear blast in a refrigerator it's like motherfucker do you know how <laughs> <laughs> how sturdy refrigerators were at that time yeah they could survive I, nuclear blasts but yeah. i just watched that and i don't know what all the hate is i know you're not a fan of the crystal skull but uh that was crystal skull right or is that yeah uh, yeah, Kingdom yeah, yeah of the crystal skull yep. yeah 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 Anyways. i like that fucking movie i don't care what anybody says i enjoyed that movie it was we're, fun we're i don't care you know we're oh. back we're gonna just go ahead and, and include this so we're back yeah yeah okay. sure yeah 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 we've been recording this whole time right yeah well yeah yeah why yeah. why why bother why leave it out yeah no yeah, yeah. everybody knows who we are you're listening to this yeah, yeah. you know who the hell this is we're a podcast <laughs> penguin sec vine sovereign another into That's the right. void here we go yeah yeah it was cool yeah. um we just did one and it was like one of those things where we always kind of leave off each void with uh more topics to discuss basically more of the topics that we discussed when we started well, that's how you know you're finding the truth is you end up you, there's more questions than answers. So <laughs> any anybody yeah. that does a podcast and like at the end of it, it's like in there we solved it. They're What's that old saying? It's like I would rather leave my mind open to wonder rather than to find belief and close it off. Something like that. I, love I can't that. remember the exact quote. It's that is exactly my perspective on yeah. everything. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather wonder than absolutely know. And once that happens, it's boring, you know, and you're right. not open to new ideas. So, yeah, um, totally. I was thinking the other day, man, we're this not to toot our own horns too much, although I'm not opposed to that. Um, no, it's not back. It's not bragging. Kind of like, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I I think what I'm saying is true. Um, we're kind of like uh, Captain Planet in a sense. So like, we. <laughs> <laughs> we create let, let our powers combine no, yeah, yeah yeah like we create something sort of greater than ourselves in a sense because the, the way i see it is like we both all agree on quite a bit we're kind of on the same page on a lot of things mm -hmm. but i think we disagree and have unique enough perspectives that it um it keeps it interesting number one we're not all just kind of like jerking each other off mm -hmm. and then number two it like it ends up like uh we keep sort of feeding off of each other's different perspectives and it adds something new and we go on to something different. And it, I think it really makes for interesting fucking conversations. Yeah. I really like these. Um, I think we hit on some of the most interesting stuff that I like talking about on the pod. You know, I mean, you go into an interview and it's like, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get mixed, but I mean, you might know what you're going to get if it's one of our friends, but it's like, so you don't always know what you're going to get into, but I always know that I'm going to learn a bunch of things and like have some really cool discussions anytime we do avoid yeah it actually yeah, grown on me over time even more we actually and, surprised yeah. everybody and did a kind of mild boring foreign policy one last time <laughs> we got to keep everybody on their toes it can't be a wild crazy ride every time you know sometimes right. we got to talk about serious stuff you know right 
Uh, yeah. Well, what what are we getting into this week or this uh, uh, this month or whatever? <laughs> well, do we still want to go into like uh, libertarian history? Ooh, I want yeah. to. That can be our boring topic, even though I, I find it interesting. But that can be our like quote unquote boring topic. But if y'all want to do something crazy, also okay. I got one totally quick down. crazy thing that I want to. I think would just be kind of fun. Yeah, let's do something crazy. So, uh, I kind of had, and this, I might've heard this elsewhere. This might not be original to me, but I kind of have a theory about where the origin of vampires came from. So I know we're getting wild right off the bat. Man, this is, I mean, swing for the (laughs) freaking fences. All right. (laughs) Let's fucking go. Um, no, it's, it's actually way less like, uh mystical or magical than one might think so like what do a lot of the famous vampires of history let's say like elizabeth bathory uh vlad tepish uh you know name your they're all aristocrats right they're all nobility and so like i was kind of thinking one day it's like what if you were a commoner and they were all weird like a bathory this she's not the only one either that uh the the thing with young kids blood and doing shit with kids and been it being related to the elite is very a very old is very old it's you see that over and over again throughout history so if you're a parent you're a peasant and you have young children i mean what are you going to tell your young children to keep them away from the castle so they don't get kidnapped and used and end up in elizabeth bathory's bathtub you're going to tell them there's monsters in the castle right and there quite literally is, but the monsters are always fucking human at the end, right? So I think there's some, there's not a whole lot of evidence to my theory here, but it's more deductive than anything else. But um, there is some reoccurring um, evidence with like um, nobility or elite doing weird stuff with kids and blood. Um, so I, th- I think that's where the origin of vampires comes from that we can go into like psychic vampires another time that's a whole other thing but um actual like blood sucking vampires i think that's where that comes from it's just peasant peasant parents trying to keep their fucking kids from getting like kidnapped into a sex or a you know pedophile no nobility a pedophile ring of the nobility i think that's where that comes from any any uh insights on that brian yeah, sure. Or Penguin, did you have something you wanted to get in? Oh, sorry. No, I mean, that was, that's really good. I mean, that's okay. like totally, I've never heard that before. That's that's totally, um, as far as I know, original. That's pretty it's pretty badass. Yeah, uh, I think, so as far as my thoughts on it, believe it or not, um, I've actually thought a lot about vampires in my life. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of vampire films, for one. Um, I've actually, I've even written about this to some degree uh, in the Sovereign Technica newsletter uh, in the past um, in the entertainment section, not, and like those, and it goes into mysticism. It's not like I'm, I'm just reviewing Dracula movies and I want people to go read it or something. It's nothing of the sort. Anyway, uh, my thoughts on it are pretty in line with your sec. I mean, I think there, there is a, there's a lot of times where because you have throughout not just centuries, but throughout the millennia, because you have, 
cultures and civilizations and empires constantly overlapping each other, what can often happen is, is uh, I mean, and this is a fact, like we see it happen all the time over the years and even, even in recent history, where ideas will just amalgamate. They'll come together, even though they were once very separate things, and they all, they all just kind of coalesce. Uh, once the dominant culture subsumes everything from the uh, minority cultures around it or within it. And like, I, I love that you brought up the psychic vampires because I think that is a very separate conversation than the blood sucking vampires. Like those, those two things do, do not equate, even though a more modern concept of say the psychic vampire or of the energy vampire as Don Webb would call it, um, would take advantage of some of the imagery of drinking blood say, but it's really just, it's symbolic. It's not a literal thing, but as far as the literal drinking of blood, I mean, you listed off some of the historical figures, certainly that, uh, well, as far as we know, actually did that sort of thing, you know, or, you know, maybe bathed in blood, you know, Mary queen of Scots, whatever. Um, but the concept of the blood libel is, is, <sighs> speaks certainly to, you know, my own history, um, because it's something that's been levied against Jews for just about a thousand years now. I think the first case in Britain was in the 12th century in Norwich in England. Um, and this idea that, oh yeah, the, you know, drinking blood of babies and, and whatever else, and, and that this is used for some kind of mystical rite and, and all of this crap. Now, fortunately, most of these cases, you know, even the more recent ones, say in the 18th century and 19th century, which, uh, you know, kind of speaking somewhat to our last uh, into the void, um, also has not helped with anti-Semitism overall. Um, but this idea of blood libel, I think, fits very well into the vampire mythos. And you know, not only that, but also a lot of the more the more uh, supernatural aspects of vampirism uh, would fit in with what's known as the wandering Jew or the eternal Jew, um, you know, which would be Cain or Miriam or, you know, depending upon the, the, the figure that you're talking about. And we don't have to get into those specifics. But this idea that, you know, it was to keep people away from royalty or from nobility. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I, I could imagine that that's done. And but the ultimate point that I that I really want to get to with this, and and I do think that there are there certainly have been cults and uh, theological persuasions throughout history, not Jewish, uh, that do believe that uh, drinking the blood of children or of adults is you know something that is life giving, um, even in a non malicious sense. Say in China, uh, the drinking of menstrual blood is an incredibly common thing for immortality or for what is perceived as immortality or at least uh, longevity in one's life. Um, there's whole rituals that get done around this, and it's even more than just China. Um, so the idea of drinking blood for some kind of individual benefit is far from uncommon. Um, now, the idea of killing babies to do it, that's another story. And really what I think that comes down to uh, it's evolutionary or it's evolutionary as well as look, we still do this today. Okay. We sure we don't call blood libel and say the Jews are going to come and drink your, your baby's blood or something, even though there's still people who say atheists will do that. Okay. And they'll put, you know, they'll put your baby like on, on the table for Thanksgiving and we carve it up and, you know, we drink it or, you know, we eat and drink the blood. Um, Some that, people that's, say Jews do that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's not happening. And also, I mean, it's just a lack of understanding of some of even the mitzvah within even the most ancient mitzvah with, within Torah anyway. But that's that's regardless. I think what's happening here really does play. I think this concept of the vampire or at least one aspect of the 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 um, the legend of the vampire does come down to uh, we got to protect our kids. And we do this today, you know, and it's not even about drinking blood. It's like, oh, no, we need to peer into your, you know, whatever's on your computer or whatever's on your smartphone because we got to protect our kids. We got to protect our kids. We got to protect our kids. I mean, that uh, narrative, you know, that that canard even has been used since the beginning of time, you know, and, and in fact, it's part of the reason I said it's even evolutionary, um, you know, the 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 concept of the family for, um, you know, for human beings. I think that completely came out of just an evolutionary drive to keep, uh, you know, a little kid from, from getting eaten by an alligator. Now that's a whole other big thing. And there's actually, man, there is a dynamite. Um, it's in the, the, believe it or not coming out of nowhere with, with a movie reference, but fast and the furious eight, um, there's a, the, the villain in that gives this whole spiel about, how the concept of family evolved evolutionarily. And, and I, I think it's just dynamite. I, I mean, it's meant to be seen as evil, but I think it's, it's, it's kind of right on the money in many ways. Um, but that, that, that's getting into a whole other subject. But bottom line being, yeah, coming up with some kind of villainous, some kind of malicious creature, some kind of supernatural thing to protect your kids. I mean, again, it's a tale as old as time and we still do it today. We just don't talk about vampires. Instead it's, you know, pedophiles, which are very real, but you know, like that, that doesn't mean the government needs to own everything we have. And I say that PWN, uh, you know, to be able to protect us from it, you know, that's a parent's job, not, not the government's, um, anyway, so there, there's a long screed. What, what do you guys think? Yeah. I, I think if you just broaden, if you just have the most broadest interpretation of like sex theory, it's pretty much makes a lot of sense to me, you know? Yeah. Okay. Is it, it could be any le level of nobility or elite or just, you know, guy that can, that can maybe, there are all sorts of people that can kind of just with impunity do weird, do weird things. And it could be, they could be molesting. They could be like uh, some kind of like status. They could be a person just takes people into slavery and all sorts of things. I mean, there's all sorts of things, crazy things that we can't relate to that have happened to history. And I think that's, you know, I, I think it is probably, there is an idea. I think that it's kind of a person as opposed to a lot of monsters, a lot of dangers out there, a lot of things that could be lurking in a forest or something that the vampire is specifically a, a human or takes the human form. So yeah, there, there's that. So it, it is distinct from like, you know, a, a, some kind of like book, not boogeyman, which is kind of a person, but like a, like a Bigfoot type of forest dweller or something, right. or some kind of bat. Well, yeah, kind of actual or, like bat person or like rep reptilian. Yeah, I think. Um, but it, it, you know, he might be able to shape shift into the bat in some versions of the mythos. But it's basically a person that has you know maybe the fangs or some slight features. But yeah, I, so I think that that's as good of an explanation as any. I think it's. I don't know. It's, it's sure. possible to me. For, forgive me. I've only seen this name r written, so I'm gonna butcher it. Uh. Giles Laval, so he was Joan of Arc's right hand man. He, oh like, yeah, he killed and ate like dozens and dozens of children. Just poor. He just had him kid. He was rich. He was a lord. Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot, ton of money. He just paid people to kidnap 
poor children and just killed and ate them. Why would yeah. it be? Why would it be nobles? Because they're the people that can do it with impunity. With the resources. That's the reason. Yeah. They, yeah. they would be able to be escape. Right. They would be able to have like like the place where they could do it with impunity. And even people can. Some people could even know about it because you know. I mean, when you're a noble, you have start. You don't cook your own dinner. You know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wouldn't happen in any other context. So why would it be nobles for exactly that reason? So I could totally see that. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, you know, this is still happening in some ways, actually, this is still happening today because you have so many guys in Silicon Valley who, okay, they're not eating children. They're not killing anybody to drink the blood, but they're hiring 16 year olds who haven't smoked weed to come to their house and get a blood transfusion, you know, and replace, you know, their old blood with their young blood. I mean, I was just going to, I was just going to say that. Right. It's happening right now. It's just, they're not drinking the blood. They're just getting bags of blood and doing an IV. Right. And that sounds, that still sounds batshit insane. Like if you tell that to most people, I bet you they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it's been all (laughs) over the news for like the past 10 years that like rich folks are taking like young kids blood, not young, but yeah, young, but not children, children, Mm -hmm. uh, like teenagers and stuff. Like you said, and they're using it, and they're, they're, it's, uh, there's actually scientific evidence that it actually slows aging, and right. and then uh, fixes various ailments in the body and stuff, and makes your organs work better. So, like, that's the hip thing to do in fucking rich circles right now. Is literally, I mean, they're not drinking it, but they're still ingesting children's blood. So this like never went away. It's just yeah, it's uh yeah. different yeah, and- now. No, right, right. And and this is this really is ancient. I mean, when you when you think about it, uh, for example, you know, royal cult or the, the cult of royalty, as we should say, you know, and and, and if, if you're going to use Torah, we'd say it started with Nimrod, but you know, you could you could pick your pick your book. Um, but one figure that shows up a lot, of course, from thousands of years ago is the god Moloch. And Moloch did exactly this. He ate children, and it's part of what fed his power and his longevity and his supposed immortality. Now, I don't think Moloch ex- actually existed, but there is this, you know, narrative that the, you know, the 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 royal cult, as it were, um, which you could apply that to any any monarchy, uh, the royal cult, you know, would would do this sort of thing. Um now, some people want to get conspiratorial and say, oh, you know, because that's like what, uh, um, whatever, the British monarchy and the Teutons and whoever else that they did that and blah, 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 and spirit food and all this crap. And, you know, in some places there might be some reality and some some truth to that. Uh, and if if there is, I mean, then I think that fits in perfectly with your initial premise, your initial theory, Sec, you know, that, yeah, this is just like protecting your kids from royalty. And in one sense, it, you know, it can just as easily be what I was saying that, okay, yeah, we've always done this to our kids. You tell them scary stories to get them to do what you want, you know, or, you know, or the state uses the narrative of we got to protect the kids or something. Um, but also in reality, yeah, I mean, it, it could have been happening because of this, this, this ancient notion um, of drinking blood. I'll give you a modern example. Like everyone was freaking out over that pizza place, right? Uh, oh yeah. Pedophile ring under the fucking pizza place. It's just a ridiculous on yep. its face. And now you have like politicians like, Oh, we got to break up these like uh, sex trafficking rings. And they're just basically going after prostitutes and shit. Right. Meanwhile, kind of like, nutty things with, with, when it comes to that, anything with children, honestly, people just throw sanity out the window. I mean, really, kind of crazy like like you could be a guy like you know 45 year old guy you know software engineer got a little bit of money you, you you're dating like a 30 year old and they'll be like he's grooming her they need to put him on a list 
or something, or they'll be like, if you, you know, these guys are, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of people that apparently are like liking or bookmarking, whatever pictures of like people's kids on, on, on Twitter. And they might be, yeah, people attracted to kids. I would assume that's actually the case. And they're like, why aren't the police like investigating all these people? And it's like thousands of, of them. And it's like, for, for, for what they, we can put them on a list. You can list lock them up for hitting bookmark on, which is, yeah, it's creepy, but it's like, yeah, that's not how, the, the, the world doesn't work that way or like you know just the weirdest things are like sometimes I mean, even things are relatively though, innocuous like, meanwhile like a bunch of like rich and powerful people it turns up their pedophiles over and over again in my lifetime you know and, and you know forget about Ep epstein what about what was it hastard that guy and then there was the uh the other scandal with uh actually during the book uh Bush senior administration. I can't remember. Was that um, it was a school? They were bringing in underage boys there. So, like, meanwhile, like this actually happens, but they're going after like pizza places, hookers, and like some some creep online. You know, they're never going to. What, what's it called? Go... Comet ping pong and yeah, that, what was yeah. the other one? Uh, something, some kind of pizza. Is it comet ping pong? That was that was the pizza place. That was. I know the there was also place. Planet Pizza, but I think that was. That was Prince Andrew, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, to I'm totally, yeah. And meanwhile, meanwhile, exactly this, exactly this. That this, I don't know, some, something weird going on with Epstein. I still never really gotten to the bottom of it, but uh, there's a there there. I don't know if it's literally that you know, all the wealthy people in the world eat babies, but I I think a lot of that's off to also a metaphor. But in this case, it's the opposite. It's like. The vampire is the metaphor of people actually abusing kids. Yeah. I don't think all rich people and powerful people in the world do weird shit to the kid to kids, but like when you're rich and powerful, you can do whatever you want and get away with it. So yes. it's for a lot of people that's gonna lead you down to like all kinds of weird shit. Piles always of been cocaine, the case. you know, hookers flying around eating a bunch of like various foods. And for some people, it's going to be like kidnapping kids, you know? So it's like these people can just get away with anything. And what that is just kind of depends on their like individual personality. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, just because you're rich doesn't mean you're a pedophile. It just means like if you would have any kind of inclination towards that sort of thing, you have the ability, resources and impunity to do so. Yeah, I mean, so so two points on this. One, I think the inverse might often be true in that you are you you're not a pedophile because you're rich, but you're rich because you are a pedophile. Because one of our strongest drives is our sex drive as human beings. And I don't think it's unfair to say that a lot of, shall we say, uh and and I I hate I don't want to because look, pedophile, I mean, that's just fucked up, like straight up. You know, I, I want to make that abundantly clear. Okay. Um, so, but I'm going to say the word kink. A lot of kinks will become cults, will become, uh, will seek power so that they can engage in their kinks. And again, you, you say, well, what? Like, it's just sex. No, it's not just sex. Like, you don't, it, <laughs> I, I love the old uh, Oscar Wilde quote of, you know, everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power. Um, yeah, I, I think that that a lot of groups will do what they can to get as much power as they can, again, to either normalize their kink or to allow them to engage in it often enough. Um, and I mean, I want to get into, you know, I'm not like saying pink mafia kind of stuff, you know, that that gets into crazy territory. Um, but 
I do think that there's there's something to that. The second point that I just want to bring up is um, this is something I espouse, you know, for many years, and that is, you know, the the quote unquote morality, which morality doesn't exist anyway, but the morality quote unquote that that the bulk of civilization lives under, certainly in the West, in Western civilization, the people in charge, you know, the the the, the not not just all the rich or anything like that, but basically the people who call the shots, the powers that be, um, they live by completely different rules. Yeah, you know, it's 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 the classic, do as I say, not as I do, um, and 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 I don't trust any of these people. You know, like, I mean, and I don't just mean that in, in the sense that all oh, the state is unethical. I mean that like these people, even in Hollywood, all of them, they, and I'm not saying they're all of them are pedophiles either. I'm just saying that they live under completely different rules, um, than, than everybody underneath them. Uh, and I think the evidence is starting, like the cracks are starting to show partly because of the internet. Not that I think that's a justification for the internet to exist. Um, but it's a byproduct of the information age. Anyway, any, anybody got anything on anything I just said? Yeah. One quick, uh, is there any basis for we're going, I'm going back to, uh, the, the Jews getting persecuted for this sort of thing. It, um, is there any like a uh, base? I'm not familiar. Is there any like, sure. Catholics have a blood, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, is there any basis for that in Judaism? Is there any kind of blood, right? Not with humans. Um, there uh, is, I mean, you do have, you know, the, the scapegoat, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, that, that has to get sacrificed and consumed. Um, but that's very specifically a goat. I mean, that there's, yeah. there's not even a debate around that. Um, and that's very common among uh, religion. Right. Yeah. I know enough anti-Semites to tell you that the conspiracy theory is basically, and it's a conspiracy theory, that actually Jews, today's Jews are the moloch worshipers so it's basically just that and moloch and they really did sacrifice children and they oh it's the old judaism within the judaism thing it's like yes to say you've actually absorbed it so secretly yeah i that would be probably how the the more advanced version of explanation of how that actually works yes yes yeah they're not actually jews they're actually freemasons and then they (laughs) worship the yes i've heard this one before going back to i guess nimrod or wherever the moloch cult comes from and then they actually absorb that and and the the judaism or the modern version of judaism is just a cover for like i guess the cult within within that sacrifices children right yeah so yeah this gets into because there is an instance in in torah where or in the tanakh more specifically where the edomites um, this group called the Edomites who are supposedly the descendants of Esau and are known by their red hair. Um, the Edomites get subsumed by the Israelites. Now this did happen. Um, and, but this is where they, they want to lay claim to all of this is that, okay, but then the Edomites influenced, um, you know, Israelite, the Israelites and became a, uh, you know, be, actually became the, like the, yeah, secret Judaism within it, you know, a predominant Judaism, um, and changed and, and they were actually the Moloch worshipers and, and whatever else. Um, and they're just getting some payback on, you know, on Jacob, uh, for stealing Esau's right. Um, this is where the wrath comes from. Yes. Oh, Cause wrath means red, red shield. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably one of those cause my maiden name is Rothdiener or my mother's maiden name is Rothdiener. Uh, and, you know, that, that just means red Butler, but anyway, <laughs> which is also kind of funny because there's a comedian named Rhett Butler, but that's besides the point. No. I, um, anyway, yeah, this is where that idea comes from. Um, and again, was, did this supposed event happen? 
sure. Can people point at, as in like, did, did this, um, you know, supposedly Moloch worshiping, uh, uh, culture get subsumed by Israel? Um, yeah, like that, that, that did occur. However, did the Edomites actually change everything within, uh, within Judaism? Uh, no, like we, we, we have no real sign of that. I mean, and this could get into a whole other wild subject over the history of Judaism that, that we don't have to get into. Um, but yeah, but, but this, this idea has, like you said, Penguin has been around for a good, good long while. Um, and again, the evidence for it is, well, there's all kinds of reasons that it's just not true, but you know, we, we don't have to go in that if we don't want to. Well, there is some influence of um, Babylonian culture on, because that's where Moloch comes from, right? Yeah. Babylon, yeah. Babylon, yep. uh, on early Judaism. Yes. Right? There's a, yeah, there's sure. A bit like overlap. No, totally. Uh, I mean, when, you know, for example, a lot of the holidays within Judaism were lifted directly from, from Babylon. Uh, this is a concept it's called pan Babylonism. Um, for example, like Rosh Hashanah, there, there's there's no Jewish New Year in Torah. It, do, it doesn't exist. Um, that was completely taken from from Babylon. Uh, so yes, that happens. Just like, you know, ideas like resurrection and some other things, or not resurrection, uh, but reincarnation, could be argued to be lifted from the Persians. You know, so there there is that. But here's the here's the difference, and the the difference is. So, for example, the the common conspiracy theory, and there's guys like Chuck Missler who ha have espoused this, and he's fairly popular because, whatever, he was a Christian that got super wealthy because he was part owner of Western Digital, but uh, which you know is one of the biggest hard drive companies in the world. Um. Anyway, so in in those cases, it was okay. The Israelites took over the Edomites, and then the Edomites, you know, were subversive, you know, from from within, right, uh, and, and did this, but. The cases where, for example, like, uh, you know, Babylonian culture influencing Judaism, which I agree with you, Sec, did happen. That's because the Babylonians conquered the Israelites. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't subversive. It was overt. It was dominating. Uh, same thing with the Persians, right? The Persians came in and, of course, they, you know, Cyrus the Great came in and conquered um, Babylon, right? Uh and I mean, an interesting point that I bring up all the time, most people don't realize uh, there is, you know, everybody thinks all oh, the, the, the Jews are looking for the Messiah or whatever. And then they're confused because they, you know, it's, it, it's Christ, but they won't accept it or whatever. No, the Jews actually did call somebody Messiah. And that was Cyrus the Great, a Persian. Um, so the idea that, that the Jews would, would take on some Persian concepts, A, they quote unquote got conquered by them by, by proxy because Babylon being conquered. Um, but B, they had tremendous respect for the the Persian emperor, which again, Cyrus the Great, who they called the Messiah. They called him the Messiah. Like the Messiah had already come for, for them in, in a very real way. Uh, so in that sense, it only, it only makes sense. It's not something that's malicious. It wasn't subversive. It was, I would argue, an incredibly conscious decision, um, you know, on, on, on the ancient uh, uh, Jews part at, the, at that time. But anyway, what, what else we got, guys? I didn't know that they called him the actual Messiah. Yeah, uh, I knew they, they were. They were wow. Okay, I knew they were huge fans and respected him a lot, mostly be, because he um, allowed for like religious tolerance and different cultures and stuff like that, which is actually just a. That's how you do colonialism, but. Um, yeah, Cyrus the Great let them go back to Jerusalem, and that's mm -hmm. that's what excited them so much. 
Um, I mean, I will say quick, there is a, there is a kind of a minority theory within Judaism that there's that. So in, in more, not pre-rabbinic, we'll say pre-rabbinic Judaism, there is actually the idea that there's two messiahs. One is a spiritual leader. The other is a military leader. Mm. And there is a minority theory that Cyrus the Great, yes, was a messiah. He was the, you know, he was the military messiah. And that now we're still looking for, or that Jews are still looking for the the spiritual messiah. But that's a minority theory. Um, and I think Judaism says something completely different about messiahs anyway, but that's another subject. How, how much do you think that comes from Baphomet? The uh, the so the bat for anybody that's not familiar, it's the the uh, merger, the dual. It's dualism. It's mer the merger of the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine. Masculine being, in the at least in these terms, uh, strong, militant, uh, you know, sort of wise, a warrior, etc. And the feminine being more spiritual, uh, loving, empathy, that sort of thing, but combined into one form. Um, do you think that that is more overlap or do you think that's a completely separate concept? Um, Baphomet is an interesting subject. I've never really applied it to that as far as the, the, the idea of the, the two messiahs. Um, I'd have to think about that. I didn't, I never thought of that before until you described the two messiahs and I'm like, mm -hmm. that just sounds like Baphomet and two different people. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we were just talking about babylon obviously so it all kind of clicked but i don't know yeah you would know better than i so yeah well i mean i'll say quick i mean i've always attributed the baphomet more to the idea of the nephilim uh mm. like the, the the giants from genesis chapter 6 verse 4 um but so so that's why i say I, i've never like tried to try to equate those two other than the idea of like this this dualism um hey y'all it's resonance um yeah from the let's make some shit podcast uh here telling you guys about some of the new stuff i've got at appalachian apothecary right now i have a remineralizing tooth powder that's made with calcium carbonate and bentonite clay um i have a four ounce jars that i'm selling for 10 bucks a piece and then uh also i've done a couple of body butters um, they're whipped tallow body butters. One's infused with arnica, and the other one is a very potent pain reliever. And if you'd like more info on that, you can find me at radical underscore resonance on Telegram or at Mother of Chaos X A O S on Twitter. Um, I'd be happy to make tinctures for you regarding like any medical condition that you have. So please reach out to me, and let's see if we can get you some herbal remedies that yeah I, I don't know how well that that necessarily fits into to you know uh varying theories of messianism and, and again judaism has almost whole cloth removed that idea of the need for two messiah or like the idea of two messiahs that's that's not popular today at all but so is it a, the popular thought amongst jews is that the today that the messiah has already come and gone no, no, it okay. should be though. And, but it's okay. one of the things, so, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll say this very briefly. Um, even post or not, it's not post because rabbinic Judaism hasn't gone away, but even within, you know, after rabbinic Judaism became the dominant form of Judaism, um, there are multiple brilliant rabbis uh, that espouse the idea. And I think this is the correct one 
that there isn't a Messiah coming. There is a messianic consciousness that we all need to achieve. Um, Abraham Abelafia, who's one of my favorite teachers in history, uh, is one of the people who espoused this. So the idea of Cyrus the Great being the Messiah isn't a problem because actually everyone should be the Messiah. And eventually, you know, with like the Jewish concept of the messianic age by these interpretations would be the time that everybody develops this messianic consciousness. Uh, and it's not that someone's coming to save us. It's that we have to save ourselves and that we all have to, you know, kind of evolve and get to this point, um, which I think that's a far more powerful message. Uh, but, you know, you're not going to get a lot of uh, uh, religious or religions or religious teachers to to grok that because then they lose their power. I mean, the idea that the congregation doesn't need you. Oh, no. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to have to actually go do some work. Shit. You know, uh, so. Anyway, but I think that's that's the the correct interpretation, and that I'm not the only one. That fits a lot with a lot of other belief systems, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could say that's the age of Aquarius, it fits with right. the Mayans and the New Age. You know, it's, it fits with a lot of different belief systems if you interpret it interpret it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, again, that it's a really powerful notion: the idea that you know you have you have all the power, you the individual. You know, uh, you have all the control and you can do all of this. And again, the reason that that's not espoused, I think particularly, I mean, Christianity has really stuffed that one down. Um, the reason that's not espoused is because it's saying, you know, you don't need God and you don't even need the word, you know, you don't even need the logos anymore. Um, and that's, and now, now, I mean, the funny thing is, is the Old Testament or Tanakh does say that, that there's a point where you no longer need the word. Um, you know, you no longer need the text anymore to, uh, uh, you know, to, to be able to exist, uh, you know, within the universe in, in a co-creative way. Um, but I, what, what happens is if that's the message you're putting out there, then the powers that be, they're not the power anymore, you know, because we are, you know, every individual, every, every person in the universe becomes you know, a, a co-creator within the universe. And, and that's, that's to, to, to any kind of authoritarianism, that's the most dangerous message you can possibly put out there. Um, I mean, it, it's frankly, for me, the reason I call bullshit on Christianity straight up, you know, the idea, I mean, there, it's multiple times where the Greek language in the new Testament is absolutely saying you are a slave to Christ. You are this, you are that you, you need God and all that. And then that, that message just does not resonate with, with, power and freedom, you know, individual power and freedom at all. Uh, and also, again, based on what I think that the Tanakh actually says, uh, it doesn't resonate with that either. So, you know, but that's why that message is never really going to, to take off because everybody, you know, wants their guru, everybody wants their leader and everybody wants this. And then the leaders want to be the leaders so that they can eat for free and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now. Yeah, kill your heroes, gurus, and Buddhas. All of yep, them. Yep, shoot your guru. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, well, unless anybody's got anything else on this, I'm I got another thing that's gonna get us all canceled if we want to do that. Oh, right on. Yeah, let's go. Um let's do it. Hey y'all, I got something cool to tell you about. So you know how uh I'm doing a big initiative to try to get more people to Gorilla Garden. Well, uh, Daggerist over at agaristacres.com, he's kind of teaming up with me a little bit here to help support this uh, cause. So if you use the code Agora10, 
uh, over at agorastakers.com, you'll get 10% off um, for any reason um, you're buying seeds, whether that be grill gardening or your own garden, anything like that. But if you contact Daggerist uh, or myself and you tell them that I sent you to get seeds for gorilla gardening, he might be able to swing an additional hookup. Um, it might be just whatever he's got, you know, a uh, surplus of or that kind of thing, whatever he can do. Um, so he's he's down for the cause here and really wants to help uh, see this come to fruition. Um, so I'm. I am Sekmagora at Sekmagora on all the the um, social media. You can contact Dagoras directly on his website, uh, agorastakers dot com again. And uh, the code is Agora ten to just get ten ten uh, percent off straight up. And um, tell him I sent you for for gorilla gardening, and you'll uh, he'll he'll try to hook you up however he can. And um, what, this is what we got to do. We got to support people that support us that want to see more of this in the world um so again it's agorastakers.com check it out um and get out there and and cause a cause a ruckus and get some gorilla gardening done all right y'all peace so do you think it's possible to separate world war ii revisionism with actual holocaust denial Ooh, good good topic um wow yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you an example. You're getting quick. taken right off of Spotify, man. This Let's is over. <laughs> go. <laughs> um, let me just give you a quick example. I right. don't. I'm not convinced that Hitler died in the Führer bunker. No, uh, he didn't. Yeah. There's a ton of evidence that says he escaped. Uh, Franco helped him escape through Spain to, to Argentina. There's a ton of evidence of that. The mm. FBI believe that. Mm-hmm. So and there's very okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. What, what, what? I actually haven't. I mean, yes, I've heard. I've. I know there are. I know enough to know that there are theories, but I don't know what's the evidence. Okay, so number one. Okay, let's start back at the beginning. The claim was by Germany over their radios that Hitler shot himself in the Führer bunker. That was a German claim. There was never any physical evidence. They found a body. The DNA did not match Hitler's DNA. Like yeah, thirty after, years later, after yes. um, they found the couch. generals and throwing all the pencils around the room. Yeah, I get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the Russians were the first to find a, a body was was in Soviet Russia for decades before anybody ever, and it didn't match Hitler's DNA. So, and the the blood on the couch. It did not match Hitler's DNA either. It was it was actually uh, uh, whoever it was was female, and the the bones didn't uh, didn't match Hitler's stature. So there goes all. The, so the only evidence we have, the the only thing that supports that claim is the Germans claim that Hitler died in the Führer bunker, and the Allies mostly because they wanted the fucking war to be over, just kind of went with it and didn't investigate very thoroughly. Eisenhower didn't think he was dead, by the way. And also, there's a ton of, uh, you'd have to go into it, there's a ton of uh, sightings of Hitler in Argentina. There's a um, a lot of circumstantial evidence, like uh, hit, uh, Franco was running what they called the rat line, which was much bigger than they ever thought it was at the time. He was sneaking a bunch of high-level Nazis out of Germany, 
like years before the war even ended. And there's uh, uh, several uh, eyewitnesses that place Hitler in Argentina in FBI documents after the war. So like there's very little evidence that he actually died in the bunker. And there is some evidence that he escaped to Argentina. And uh, we found a lot that there's a ton of not, they found a ton of Nazis The the Israel. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Is it the Mossad that hunts down the Nazis? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they were part of that. Yep. Yeah, sure. They, they're, they were fighting them like semi recently, a few years back. I forgot. What was his name? uh was a hess they found in fucking argentina just not that like i don't know it was five seven years ago or something so oh sure and like yeah i mean in the angel of death they when did he die that was fairly that, recently yeah yeah i mean maybe 90s I, yeah yeah I don't, yeah I, exactly within, I mean anyway. within my lifetime yeah right so all of what we've just been talking about is world war ii revisionism is the point i'm making so like i don't believe <sighs> I definitely believe they killed a whole lot of Jews and a bunch of other people in concentration camps. Okay. But I think that I don't, I am not a Holocaust denier or anything of the sort, but I think there, that can be true, but also we're dealing with two States fighting each other. So mm -hmm. the one, we live in America and they won the war. So they're going to put a lot of post hoc justification to make them look like Superman. And they're defeating a bit. They put a very cartoonish spin on it. Yeah. Or, let, I'll let give me you another, no, I'll give you another, one more example that fucking blew me away. And this is me as a, uh, someone who's been into history since I was a kid. And I didn't realize this until like five, maybe 10 years ago, but the, Final solution didn't start until the U.S. Enter had already entered the war. Now, when I was growing up, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it was presented in a way that the U.S. went over there to stop the Holocaust. Now, there had been mass killings. There had been, you know, uh, property confiscations of Jews. There had been horrible shit. I mean, awful shit. But it wasn't a systematic, like factory like final solution until the US entered the war. But what the way it was presented to me throughout my life was that the US had to go to war in World War II because they were uh, genociding Jews. And that didn't start. And the reason that Thaddeus Russell puts it this way he says, you had a madman with a millions of hostages. And it's, and what the U.S. did by entering the war is basically locked all the doors and set the place on fire. And so it actually could have possibly caused more deaths of Jewish lives because of the U.S. entering the war. And it was presented to me as if we were going to save, you know, we were the good guys going to save any uh, the, the Jewish folks. And that was it was nothing of the sort. If anything, the U.S. was more anti-Semitic at the time. Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah. More, I, I think I'm, that's plausible. Yes. And no, no I think you're right. Fact. Look, look, listen, look at the date that the U.S. declared war on um, Germany. Well, and look almost at the simultaneous. The first concentration, the first uh, death camp was uh, put into effect. It was literally two months later. So, so um, I think we've either discussed, I can't imagine where else I would have discussed this, but I, I almost think it's one of the void episodes. We've discussed, I think, that the, um, the meeting 
planning so getting the approval for like the actual uh final solution or in losung of the youth in fraga in german or whatever however you say that um that was it's like simultaneous almost with Pearl Harbor, like very close, like which is or the American Declaration of War in Germany, which I guess was a few days later. It was it was very it was in December 1941. Um, so starting start within days for sure, and that's weird. So it's like wait 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 a minute. So it was it must have been on the table. It wasn't a novel thought. They didn't just come up with it because of what we kind of knew was probably an impending war or whatever. Although, you know, Germany was the one to declare war in the United, uh, United States. Uh, but of course they've been, you know, basically materially supporting. They had practically been at war, I think with Germany, basically almost a belligerent, just kind of like goes on today with some of these conflicts. Uh, so yeah, I think we've even covered that. So obviously, yeah, it wasn't a total novel thought if, if it was within like a day or two of the, outbreak or the entry of the United States into the war and the German declaration of war on the United States. Um, but there is that theory. And I know it most from Thaddeus Russell and, and you and I have talked about it sec of, yeah, that the United States entry to the war absolutely sped that up. Of course, we do have to point out that yes, there weren't any, um, some, you know, there supposedly were like industrial scale death camps. Um, and like, regardless of what kind of camps and the, the details, there are a lot of people that are Holocaust deniers. They have outright claims that some of that was fabricated. I don't know that that's, I've seen also refutations of the refutations and so on and so forth. You can go on down the line. It's been like 80 years or whatever to actually like, like keep doing this. Or not quite 80, but uh, heading that direction. Um, but of course, even before then uh, with the war in Russia and, and pushing eastward, there has, there had been the, basically a holocaust by the bullet there had been like hundreds of thousands i think people or i think jews specifically because that was the pale of settlement for the russian empire when the russian empire was at its peak that was the area basically the area between germany proper and especially prussia and or i guess germany proper yeah and prussia and then going eastward before you get too far into Russia proper was the area that the, the Jews were by law required to live, um, which is why so many Jews, especially a lot of less Jews um, now because of so many that were killed, uh, did live in that region all the way from like the Baltics all the way on down to like Ukraine and, and, and that, that whole area. Um, the Eastern Europe, the, the area right over the Iron Curtain um, in more recent history. So like, yeah, uh, there had been obviously an intent to kill lots and lots of Jews. If you take into consideration that a lot of people digging their own mass graves, getting shot and pushed, pushed into them and so on and so forth. Um, you know, whether Jews throughout Europe would have been put into gas chambers. There's a lot of, there's a lot more denial of specifically the gas chambers and the industrial scale camps um, th that were located throughout Europe and more closer to like, Germany in, in many cases. Um, and then Jews were sent from various ways we know, and obviously in the boxcars. So from all sort, all corners of Europe um, that Germany had the opportunity to. Uh, and that's where a lot of the questioning of the numbers and the possibility. And I, I, I honestly don't know. There's Real all quick. the, you know, yeah. First um, extermination camp op uh, was Chelmno. Opened December 1941. You want to know when the U.S. declared war on Germany? Well, I think the German Germans declared war on the U.S. To be no. fair, 
No, yes. I think I'm, I'm almost well, positive. They both they declared war on German each other declared. after Germany Certainly. declared war on uh, Japan. What, the ninth? Uh, sorry, after it, America declared war on Japan. The ninth, the 10th? December 11th. 1941. Okay, and, when, and when was it open? So that same month was when they opened up yes. the concentration camp. Uh, the extermination I think we discussed camp. this. Yes, I think we probably. Discussed this. But 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 if, if that's the well, case, that's not then, how it's presented to you in as, as no, as a they young let you kid. believe that. They what? let you believe that. They let you believe yeah. that. They want you to because this is what I wanted to get. This is actually my actual thought. I'm just kind of reciting facts. My actual thoughts is that that for obviously the now defunct Soviet Union and the United States both. Post 1945, for decades, um, and in in the case of the United States, and actually there's some of this in Russia. I mean, it's with Russian nationalism and the Russian national identity, but especially within the United States, like the founding myth of the United States was the revolution, and then there was also like the Civil War, but the the, the American Revolution. But both the Uni United States and the Soviet Union sort of had these. The second founding myths with the defeat of Nazi Germany and global fascism and the defeat of Japan and so on and so forth. The, the victory on World War II, the, you know, the Soviets, that was everything that gave legitimacy to the, to the Soviet government. All the parades, all the, you know, all their national heroes. Most of their are a whole new swath of national heroes, I guess, for the Soviet government. And same with the United States. Like that was the thing that started the Cold War. And so throughout the Cold War specifically, and then even after the cold war the idea was like yes the u.s are the good guys and the u.s are the good guys because it was the liberal democracy defeating fascism defeating the nazis and why were the nazis so bad number one on top of that list by a wide margin was the holocaust the extermination of the jews so i mean yes that's very very important to justification of the united states government it's the state, it's policies, and especially it's policies during the Cold War, which is very, very important. And of course, then you have these dueling powers, both claiming legitimacy from the defeat of fascism. And then you go on to like, you know, the civil rights era and the civil rights acts and the different, the, 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 the kind of the civil rights state and the great society and all the things that come out of both the uh, 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 the New Deal era and World War II, which kind of meld together. And so this kind of founding myth, and now that we are also providing you all these civil rights and equality and all this kind of freedom, just kind of the polar opposite of what's depicted as Nazi Germany and, and, and the fascists and the Italian fascism and the Japanese, which, yeah, those were horrible, murderous, authoritarian governments for sure. But I think like that's the kind of thing, and especially when you look at it in the Cold War context and also the, the post-Cold War context, like it's super important that like America GI Joe are the good guys and the other guys were literally the evil bad guys, which of course that makes sense, but it made sense even far, far past the end of the war. I, I right. blame Britain. I, bl I blame Britain straight up. <laughs> Why do you blame Britain? Uh, no, well, let's, well, let me, let, I mean, we can, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah, blame yeah. Britain. Yeah. All right. Cool. We were done. Um, yeah. They're, they're the vampires too. So like this is, yes. this is perfect. Um, so, well, let me lay let me lay out some some possibilities here. Uh, I mean, and and lot lot of interesting facts brought up, um, and I do agree that yeah, like we, we get a false narrative in America that somehow, you know, we went into you know that the U.S. went into you know or attacked Germany because oh no, look they're locking up the Jews we got to go save them. Um, there is no 
no historical evidence. In fact, it's exactly to the contrary. And we've brought it up on Into the Void many times. There's no historical evidence that the United States was supportive of uh, uh, of Jews or, you know, like that they, they were given any kind of special treatment or somehow that they gave a shit about Jews. The only evidence we get of any kind like that would be, um, I mean, in fact, ironically, well, well, two points. Ironically, uh, the first Jew that was allowed to hold any kind of political office on a federal level or on a quote unquote federal level was actually was the Confederacy. The Confederacy was the first one to to, to allow any Jews. Uh, oh, man, I was know. about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So I mean, I mean, like the vice president, I'm up to the vice president or secretary of state. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, phew, I just learned this. <laughs> but yeah, quite a few, quite a lot of Jewish support for the Confederacy. Right. Right. I mean, that wasn't going to happen in the north. Are you kidding me? So um, anyway, <laughs> uh, but the only other spot that we have would be when Calvin Coolidge, uh, president of the United States, when Calvin Coolidge was signing into was signing into law quotas for immigration. And when he did that, he put in a, he put an executive addendum within the law that said, okay, I'm fine with all this. I just feel bad that we're not letting any more Jews in. That's the best thing we ever got. Okay. As far as, as far as Jews go, certainly pre-World War II. And I would argue basically up until maybe this, the seventies or eighties, but otherwise there's no recognition or any kind of care whatsoever. In fact, it seems to be the exact opposite that the United States in any way gave, or the United States government anyway, gave any kind of shit about what's happening to the Jews. So that narrative makes no sense, you know, to say that, uh, oh, well, you know, the U S went into World War II because they got to go and save the Jews. Well, what took you so goddamn long? You know, we've been impressed for, as long as there did and many thousands years before uh, there was a U.S. Do you want to do something before then? I guess not. Okay. Anyway, so there's that. Um, now, to keep playing on this, World War II is really, in my opinion, and it's not just mine, but in my opinion, World War II, like World War One. Okay, World War One never actually ended. I mean, yeah, there, there's like an armistice day. There's all this, you know, the, the, there's a time that supposedly it ended, but really it never ended. World War One and World War Two are ultimately the same war. It's just that there was an incredibly long ceasefire in between those years. Um, and now as I've a narrative that I've uh, uh, espoused and believe in uh, World War One, its primary purpose was not to take out the triple entente. It was not to, you know, necessarily destabilize Germany. It was to destabilize the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Now we Germany, yeah, right. We went over this. And and so the Entente uh during World War One, which were, you know, essentially the Axis powers of World War One as compared to World War II, um the the Entente was supportive of the Ottoman Empire. And we very quickly see when Hitler gets into power. Some of the first allies he's garnering up. Now he says specifically in Mein Kampf that, in fact, it's, it, it basically starts off. Oh, we got to get the Austrians with us, right? They're our brothers by blood. And he also says in Mein Kampf that he wants to be friends with Britain. Why does he want to be friends with Britain? Because he knows if he can be friends with Britain, it won't be a repeat of what occurred in World War One. Okay, because World War One was effectively what that war was was the Entente, the Triple Entente versus the Anglo-American empire. And I say Anglo-American empire, because that means, you know, Brit Britain and the United States working together. Okay. So and we could even take that back to the civil war because 
Britain was the only country that was even going to try and recognize the North being what they are as to where, you know, uh, uh, Italy or at least the Pope and whatever would recognize the Confederacy, but that, that, that's, I don't even want to go down that road. We don't have to. So let's just, let's stick with where we are with World War I and World War II, really just being the same conflict protracted over a couple decades or over a few decades. Um, so what ends up happening is there's the very real chance that under Hitler, I do think that the Ottoman Empire could have come back to some degree, right? Just like he was placating well with, with, uh, you know, the, the Japanese empire and so on. Um, but that's, that's kind of, I, I don't want to necessarily go down that road either. Okay. Um, so what happens during this, what we will call a ceasefire between World War I and World War II, even though, again, they're, they're both the, really the Great War. Uh, you end up with Weimar Berlin. Okay. You have the, you know, you have the Weimar Republic, which is, you know, and, and you can read about this and I have no problem with it. It was an incredibly libertine civilization or you know, society. Um, I mean, things were just, you know, it was the roaring twenties as much as it was in the United States. It certainly was as well in Germany. Okay. Um, and there were a lot of powers that be them being religious or relying upon religion to keep their power who didn't like that. Um, in fact, I think the reason that Kelvin Coolidge, uh, part of why, um, that, that, well, anyway, part of the, the quota thing and, and part of the reason Jews were included in that quota, uh, might've had to do very much with what was being seen happening in Germany. Now, another point to bring up, I, I, I guarantee this will all come together. Another point to bring up is that eugenics was nowhere near as popular in Germany as it was in the United States in the early 20th century. Um, the eugenics uh, movement, I mean, this is also part of the reason I think that that the quota system was brought in and that was heavily influenced by the tremendous power that the eugenics uh, uh, movement in the United States had. There's tremendous books by Edwin Black uh, that, that go into this. Um, in fact, arguably the very creation of computers really just comes down to um, eugenics you know, and being able to, to list off people. And, and anyway, that, that, that gets into a whole other subject. Okay. So, you know, when, when you say, when people say, oh, well, the Nazis were eugenicists and, you know, they, they believed in the master race and all this stuff. Sure. That's not unfair to say, but America, people in power in America, uh, were far worse in my opinion, even though maybe they didn't, weren't able to engage in a lot of the experiments at the time, I would not be surprised if Henry Ford was schlepping the bill over to Nazi Germany to have them go through the experiments. Same thing gets done today, right? When scientists in America can't do something legally, they just call their friends in China to do the experiments for them where there are no laws around that sort of thing. Okay. The idea that somehow scientists are more ethical in the United States is nonsense. And it's never been true. It's not, it, it's never, ever, ever been true. Um, anyway, so you have, uh, you know, this eugenics movement in America, you have it happening in Germany. Um, and this speaks to largely what are the purpose of the concentration camps? Okay. Now, part of the problem, like where we get into revisionism or Holocaust denial, one of the greatest pieces of evidence for Holocaust denial, and I'll admit to this myself, even though I, I believe the Holocaust did occur, one of the greatest pieces of evidence is that you can find newspaper stories, reports, where, oh, 20 million Jews were killed, or 10 million Jews were killed, and the number keeps changing 
until you get to about the 1950s when it seems to have finally settled on 6 million people. And so, you know, Holocaust deniers will look at this and say, well, wait a minute, how many Jews was it? Like, it's like you're making this up as you go. You know, that's their claim. What I think they often, for what Holocaust deniers themselves deny is that it wasn't just a Holocaust for the Jews. Okay, where does the pink triangle symbol come from that that was, you know, it became a major symbol for uh, for homosexuality, you know, for gays? That came from, you know, just like Jews would get a yellow star that said Judon or whatever, uh, you know, to, to label them as what they are. So they knew which, you know, train car to put them on. Many groups that did not fit in with the eugenic narrative within Germany, within Nazi Germany, were all, they, gays would get a pink triangle. Even Christian groups like Seventh-day Adventists would get a purple triangle. A lot of people don't know that. There were many, many groups, not just Jews, that were considered undesirable and were being sent off to Dachau and all of these other concentration camps. Okay, and this was happening you know, pretty like this, this was getting set up. You were getting labeled first and then, you know, say after months or years or whatever, then you, they end up, uh, you know, schlepping you off uh, to whatever concentration camp. So, you know, there's an argument that could be made. Well, okay. The number kept changing with how many Jews it kept going down. Well, yeah, it's because there was more precision in the fact, okay, no, it was 6 million Jews, but we found mil millions more, but they were other groups. Those were gays that got off in the showers. Those were, uh, you know, Seventh Day Adventists or whatever other undesirable group that you could list list off. Uh, you know, that were that were sent off to these these concentration camps. I mean, people like th there's this there's this over concentration on on Jews in the World War II narrative, and it's it seems and it's unfair. And and as a Jew myself, I think it's unfair that the other groups that were just that that were also you know slaughtered en masse um, in Nazi Germany. Uh, you know, they, they don't get recognized. And I think that leads to a lot of the questions and also a lot of the blame and a lot of these conspiracy theories that, oh, the Jews made up the Holocaust. See, it's the Ashkenazi. It's even in their name. The last part of it says Nazi, you know, and all this. You know, and people make all these wild claims when they completely forget that there were plenty of groups that were not Jewish at all that got off by Nazi Germany. And because if you could include those, then your narrative would fall apart for many reasons. Okay. But there's that. Um, so I get moving, you know, kind of away from that, unless, unless you guys have any comments on, on that part, pl please feel free. Cause otherwise I want to get into like sex saying about, you know, Hitler not actually dying, which I agree with. No, I would just say that Nazism started in the United States. Yes. But yeah, go ahead and continue. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Yep. hundred percent. You, you said it so well, so succinctly. Um, so, okay. Now, as far as Hitler not not dying um, and a lot of Nazis going away. Now, I mean, an idea that I or uh, and I don't think it's theory. I think it's fact. Um, you know, a, a, an idea that I espouse very much is that Nazism like the Nazis never really lost the war. Uh, yeah, we, we know for a fact a lot of them went to South America. We have some suggestibility that they went to Antarctica, uh, you know, or, or even other countries. Um, I think that Nazism came to the Americas and then came to the United States. Uh, I mean, there was already an American Nazi party anyway, um, you know, like uh, George Lincoln Rockwell and some of these other, or was, was that his name, right? Uh, some of these other, the guy who wrote White Power or whatever. I mean, these, these people yeah, were yeah. actually part of, you know, what they called the American Nazi party. So it wasn't a very real sense here, but not only that, um, 
I mean, you know, Operation Paperclip, a lot of people talk about that, but I don't think they talk about it enough. I don't think they look at the ramifications of that enough. And I don't think they look at the things that changed in the power structure of the United States once Operation Paperclip became a thing. And once you get guys like Werner von Braun, who was absolutely in the SS, and many other German scientists who get a complete pass for all of the, you know, nasty shit that they did. And, you know, if we even know all of it, okay. Um, but one of the People things that try to whitewash fucking yeah. or, uh, Von Braun and mm-hmm. like, oh, well, he wasn't an, he was just a scientist. He just wanted to, he was just interested in science. No, he had j- fucking Jewish slave labor working yeah. at his factories and he would shoot the slowest one every day. Yep. yep. Fuck that guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Scumbag. No, scumbag. And he's like on Disney Sunday mornings, you know, telling kids about all this stuff. It's like, all right, all right, what the fuck just happened? Um, but here's so here's here's where it happens, right? So how does Nazi because because this is what everybody asks me when I talk about this. So how does Nazi Germany uh like how does that end or how do the Nazis, how do they end up um, you know, subverting kind of like the Edomites with the Jews, as the claim goes? You know, how do how do they end up, you know, taking over the United States? Well, here's what happens. So before um NASA was a thing, the United States space program and thus the development of a lot of uh, aerospace technologies, which were at the time and to this day, you know, the most important technology to both conquer another nation and to keep one under your thumb. Um, NASA, before NASA was a thing, it was all part of the United States Army. Okay, like all, all developments in space technology, all that stuff was being done by the United States Army. Just like the Air Force, there wasn't originally an Air Force that was just part of the United States Army. Now, an argument goes that this makes it more efficient, blah, blah, blah. But what I think actually happened here is that NASA gets developed. Why? Because it is explicitly a civilian organization. And none of the uh, uh, scientists and defectors involved, and it's not just scientists, there were also, you know, military leaders and others, okay, involved in Operation Paperclip were allowed to hold military office when they came over uh, to the United States, when they were brought in by the United States government. So what they end up doing is they create what is ultimately an incredibly powerful, and certainly even from a mental perspective, as in they define our world in, in a very, you know, NASA really does define our world, certainly for the United States. They create a civilian organization that does not follow the stipulations of Operation Paperclip and the stipulations that allows uh, a lot of these ex-Nazis, even though I'd say they're not ex, to come into the United States and they create, you know, th- this entire organization. Um, and, you know, Werner von Braun was the first head of, of NASA. Um, so that's that's how I think we get from here to there. Uh, I mean, there's very famous statements of, or from there to here, I should say, you know, there's very famous statements that the United States didn't have a space program. Uh, you know, Russia had a space program, but the United States did not during the space race. The United States had a Nazi space program. They just took the swastikas off the rockets. And I think that's absolutely true. Like there's, there's, there's nothing inaccurate in that statement. And it comes right down to the plans of the rockets themselves to prove it. Um, so, you know, the idea that, you know, World War II revisionism, oh yeah, like we need a lot of it. It's not necessarily in the direction I think that a lot of people want to go, but the yeah. idea that, here, go ahead, Penguin. Um, just on that point, I think, so I think you're hitting on the most well-known end of this, and I don't know much more beyond that, but you know, you're hitting on Operation Paperclip, pretty well-known, Werner von Braun, pretty mo- the most, obviously, I think probably the, the most 
I don't know if you would say successful, the guy that rose the highest up and certainly had by a long shot the most public notoriety of anybody that was involved um, with that kind of paperclip coming from, you know, scientists coming from mm -hmm. uh, Nazi Germany type of deal. So the most well-known aspect of this, but I, I've seen at least like some instances of, of other, uh, of, of, of other similar things. So uh, apparently like some of the earliest heads of NATO were, I think the first head of NATO, I'm not hundred percent sure. Actually, I should probably go ahead and look that up on Wikipedia before I sure. come out and say it, but there was definitely, there were definitely ex, uh, ex German, uh, world war two, you know, general officers, uh, that were, uh, well, well, NATO, yeah. definitely, definitely were ex, ex Nazi Germany, uh, officials it, yeah, this have is something involved with NATO from the very beginning. Right. Just quick to, to add on that. This is something where you can, there has been great writing done out there, um, that NATO did come out of Nazism, like, like that, that, that has a Nazi history to it, like totally. And, and it's really fascinating to read. Um, anyway, continue. So once not, uh, yeah, so it does. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to look up this, some, of the, some of that to, to tell you who it was, but it was like several, mm -hmm. several of them and several are uh, leaders of Europe. Uh, the first, first secretary Europe. general of the United nation of, of NATO of, or of wait, NATO. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, that, yeah that I, so I don't have time to look it up. But yeah, it, 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 there's quite a few of them, and I used to have a gra graphic on that. It was pretty shocking how many, how much there was involvement. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can imagine. So you have the Soviet Union uh, rushing towards Germany from the east, and the Allies moving in from the west. And you know, yeah, the the Americans are uh, supposedly democratic and liberal but they are also the they're also of the right compared to um and certainly the, the powers to be in germany and in france as opposed to global leftism which you know whether you want to compare that to modern definitions of leftism or modern left-wing movements but were the global forces of global socialism you know revolutionary communism and everything blah 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 they're the reds um i mean you clearly see that throughout the uh, history of the soviet union you know you have the uh the, the foreign powers that the, the, mm -hmm. for example just just watching a video about um the russian revolution and all the powers that supported the whites to try to take out the reds because they didn't want the uh, socialist revolution to take over in, in a major country uh so you know once they were kind of racing towards Berlin, you know, it was very, it was very, it's, it's pretty well known that, you know, Patton wanted to just kind of keep on pushing and right, right to Moscow, just with all that momentum, scoop up the remaining, you know, remnants of the German forces, rearm them and, and have them head straight towards Moscow, I guess, uh, carpet bombing them with nukes along the way. If they had it, I guess, which I assume they had a few, but, um, having just, you know, gotten the, the, uh, armistice or whatever, the surrender, uh, of the Japanese empire. So like, yeah, at that point, it was pretty much an instantaneous switch of the blue guys versus the reds which is actually the the, the republican and democrats in, in america were often were, were actually used to be switched to but the reds clearly being the communists in this case and the uh the the forces of what would historically be called the right the the, the liberals and the you know conservatives and all those other distinctly non-socialist non-anarchist groups um they are far more aligned and they're going to be far more aligned. Their interests are far more aligned uh, than the forces of what was at the time global leftism, which is real 
Soviet revolutionary, commun- you know, Marxist-Leninism, communism. Um, it, somewhat, which, which is to say that, like, yeah, so those, those, I mean, and you see, you see this obviously with the division of Germany, the West German, West Germany and East Germany. I mean, it's in the division of Europe as a whole, the Iron Curtain and everything. So, like, yeah, I, I, and, and NATO clearly had had a lot of Nazi involvement. I just don't have, I didn't really know have time to prepare to get that actual information out there but if i can find it um certainly we'll put it on on twitter or show notes so we can honestly just have a discussion on telegram or something feel free to join a telegram group um but yeah there's so there's there's definitely heavy post hoc involvement i think as so there was a different yes I mean that's just a small yeah so blow up blow that up that's just like a small part but a major part of you know pre-World War II, and then immediately post-World War II, you have a completely different conflict going. You have a global fight between the Reds and the the Blues, which is essentially, you know, the left-wing revolution versus um, essentially global fascism, which, I mean, yeah, there is something like totalitarianism at home, home, kind of more, more centrist, more... It is collectivist and actually a lot of heavy regulation on, um, on the government. Of course, what's, you know, the, the collusion of corporate power and, and, and the state would be uh, many people's definition of fascism for sure, or at least in, in that direction. Um, that's coming out of the New Deal and the World, the World War II mobilization and the war economy and everything. But then you have um, the way the U.S. policy played out for many decades outside the United States, which was to obviously to so obviously you have Gladio and its adjacent kind of stuff where they were blatantly supporting, uh, you know, far right anti-communist, yeah, uh, fascist, literal, literal fascist groups um, and, and arming them and have in training them uh, and, and placing them throughout Europe in order to act as stay behind forces when the uh, you know commies rush to fold a gap and, 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 and run through. So these people are going to be the partisans. Um, but, literal neo-nazis at the same time which of course those are the most reliable anti-communists um and you see the same thing play out throughout the world through latin america everything else i mean there's the right-wing death squads refers to a real thing uh i people will talk about that now with regards to like uh supposed neo-fascist groups that some people claim exist people claim affairs whatever i i i that is a reference to very real right-wing death and rapes and torture squads that the u.s military trained at the school of the americas that's just the historical well, yeah fact. it wasn't just south america it was and, all over i mean eastern europe yeah. uh v- vietnam all, every, everywhere yeah everywhere i man. mean vietnam is the best example because you, you saw how the the logical conclusion of that policy of course so let me let me widen let me i think it's gladio but for everything so i think all <laughs> of this that we've i Hundred percent agree with. It was global gladio, absolutely. With gladio well, so, is like a I mean, very, so was, especially so nefarious, was, um, subterfuge so kind of NASA version of this. And so was NATO. It, so let me let me widen out this lens, and maybe this will put like some context to it if I can explain it succinctly enough. So, like I said before, that the U.S. Nazism started in the U.S. and mm-hmm. I mean that like quite literally. Um, fascism started here. We the U.S. You mentioned eugenics. That's the very the very obvious. Um, you, you go towards uh, the 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 U.S.'s treatment of the uh, the Native Americans after the Civil War. They literally also called that the final solution. 
Nazi Germany mirrored that off of the U.S. But um, I think that Nazi or uh, European fascism and Nazi Germany and the U.S. were actually uh, ideological cousins. So you had a, the political economy in the U.N. You kind of met, uh, alluded to this, Penguin, um, prior to World War II and, and afterwards, really, um, in the early uh, 20th century, we'll say, um, had a political economy that was very similar to, like, less so Nazi Germany, more like Italian fascism. So they were very much like Hitler. I think Hitler... And the uh, and Mussolini really thought that the U.S. would be an ally, their ally, because they were so I'm sorry. similar. I'm sorry. At what at what point? At what point did you this say one, the U.S. had an economy similar to uh, early, the early 20th century? This so this is before. Well, I mean, you could say it. it well, there's a world, teetered, there's a teetered around the 1930s, but then it ramped up again for the war economy. The war economy, so, and then that continued. So actually, you didn't get you didn't get real deregulation beginning until the Carter administration. I mean, you had basically like uh, so. Uh, it was yes. a time so where you I had a fascist political economy, is what I'm a saying. Heavily regulated. You had, you had heavily regulated. You had uh, surprisingly, and I've learned this from like Cato. Like, like I think the price to dry clean a suit was like regulated by the federal government through like the highly 70s regimented sixties. Yes, heavily highly regulated government. Highly regimented, yes. a militarist culture, uh, highly yes. anti-Semitic, uh, very biological determinist. A lot of eugenics was very popular. Uh, it was uh, basically, if you don't want to call it fascism, it was fascism light, or it was proto-fascism. But, but well, there I'm was so, a lot. I'm curious, of, I'm curious, how much of this predated the New Deal? It because was, the New Deal was supposed to be the the, the advent of a lot of I would say that's the stuff. pinnacle of it, but it started in the 1800s here, man. It started with the treatment of the the, the, the consolidation era. after the Reconstruction era, era, the treatment of the the Native Americans, the uh the new nationalism. So the idea that yeah, uh, what was that? The merger of the individual identity with the nation state started here, and then you had a lot of uh, clash. Oh class collaborationist talk here about uh we need to like hone in the fat cats but we don't want to like we don't want like these so socialists that want to literally like fucking burn down the factories what we're going to do is now we all work under this nation state and we're going to cartelize the economy and make sure it's all fair and we're all going the same direction that is literally the fucking that is proto-fascism that's exactly yeah, doesn't what the fascists were going for yeah, it's definitely this. Yeah, this is this didn't happen by accident. Every like everything happens because of conscious decision and and, and planning yes. and policies to some extent, or you know attitudes. It could happen decentralized, centralized ways. Yeah, it didn't happen. By, it, we didn't get this by accident. People people were aware of what was happening as it was happening, and people were actually implementing it as yes. it was happening. Yeah. So this is our long and long. A lot of this comes um, out of I think this comes out of like Prussia with uh, this. Some of this stems from Bismarck coming out of prussia and the the prussian okay. phd systems and stuff we've been, we've been supposed to having this conversation we were supposed to have been having we were supposed to have this conversation for like right the now. entirety of the of the <laughs> podcast we've always alluded to this by the way okay so anyway so the, the wider lens so that's prior to the like the real rise of nazi germany and world war ii um and the United States and the Italian fascists were very chummy, chummy. Uh, a lot of there's a lot. I mean, Hitler made Time of the Time magazine of the year. Mussolini made Time uh, Man of the Year. 
there is a lot of overlap in ideology and the political economy at the time between these countries. It was very and, similar. And so and Stalin, reason- Stalin wasn't seen as a bad guy either. I mean, just, just to be fair. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a tanky. So no, fuck Stalin. He can get shot in the head. No, no, no. What I'm saying. What I'm saying is Hitler, as he was rising in power, and Stalin for actually quite a long time, and uh, oh, yeah, they were friends too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, oh they, Maybe not the same people, but they they were definitely not treated as horrible until after I think their their time. Even yeah, even on the uh, on the far the, left, uh, Mao. What was the treaty the between uh, Nazi Germany and Ribbon the uh, Molotov Molotov Ribbentrop Pact? Um, so yeah, there was, uh, anyway, so the wider lens, God damn it. Sorry. Let me, let me finish this thought. Cause I'm never, I, I trying to be succinct because it's like kind of a lot to explain all at once, but all right. So before the war, the United States is fascist. Okay. And the reason they went into the war was not because there is an ideological difference or they disliked the Jews, or I'm sorry, they wanted, uh, because the Nazis disliked the Jews and the United States wanted to save them. That was not the reason. It's because these particular fascist countries, and I'll include Japan in that too. Yeah. Uh, they're imperialist, obviously, but goddamn, and they were actually they were like more fascist than fascist. <laughs> right. They were pretty bad, actually. So, but the reason was is they be, they just they were also is in, interested in not only fascism but autarky. So they wanted to create everything yeah. with uh, within their own country, and the U.S. Well, while fascist. To- relied heavily on global trade so it was again about profit it was not about ideology it was not about saving anyone so if you accept this part of the pre-war america's a fucking nazi fed uh nation if you accept that premise then it makes perfect sense why the u.s would just uh uh, consume all of these Nazis <laughs> into their own institutions because they fit perfectly there and then arm a bunch of Nazis to go fight communists all over the world and rape and torture people everywhere because yeah. they're more ideologically similar than not. So that's why that's why paperclip makes perfect fucking sense. That's why NATO makes goddamn sense. That's why Gladio makes sense. And that's why the Nazis are probably still running the world because they fit, they fit very well here. It was already essentially a, uh, a the political economy and the eugenics were already here. Okay. They were already fit. Sorry. And rant the over. Cool I thing, hope that cool makes sense is, to anybody. After 45. So after two things. So first of all, after 45, you, you'd really, the, 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 the stuff you really associate with Nazism, the, the the racism, the eugenicism, the, the anti-Semitism, actually all that stuff just goes away. I mean, I don't know if you could say maybe under the surface some people had, that, but that becomes absolutely wiped away from it, completely anathema, like can't even, the worst things happen in the world happen. So it just goes away, but obviously the people didn't go away, and there's a, still a thread. There's a thread of global rightism, basically, and versus global leftism. And I think it's really kind of what we described as gladio in the whole world. Um and that's what, and, and it was like Vietnam on the whole world. I guess the two extremes are the subterfuge version is Gladio and the, the, the overt, you know, warfare support, regime support and, 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 and on boots on the ground warfare would be uh, advisors turning to boots on the ground warfare would be uh, the Vietnam conflict, um, which was just a completely most unnecessary th- uh, 
what I just can't imagine. Just, just when you just know the details, just such an unnecessary and just a war that just could could have just not happened, but easily, but did. Yeah, um, well, which is not war, probably. Penguin, Penguin, Penguin. Uh, Brian's got to go in ten minutes. Okay, okay, got it. So I'll I'll, I'll get this really quickly. Um, right. I'm not sure where I'll actually we'll see. So. Yeah, I don't know. Let Brian have his piece. Please. No, well, I mean, I I think this is one of the most important conversations that can be had, you know. Uh, I mean, like, there's lots of little nuggets out there, right, where, you know, the person who even wrote in the United States who wrote the national anthem was, you know, hardcore socialist. I mean. The pledge. Or the pledge. I'm sorry. The pledge, not the national anthem. Yeah, yeah. I just looked that up. Yeah. My my parents, actually. Yeah, yeah. Challenging Um, having an argument with them. Here, let me pull up that Wikipedia. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to bring up, you know, so it becomes a question of, so what are the Nazis goals? Like what, like what's the end game here? What, what was the plan? You know, we're talking about, well, Hitler, you know, uh, likely, or I think it's likely, uh, survived, you know, and that his, his, uh, his death was faked. Um, you know, and I, and I'm not giving any credence though, who knows, you know, to the idea that, oh, people have seen Hitler and a UFO and all this stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's kind of pushing it. Certainly, we could get into interesting conversations around what did Admiral Byrd see, you know, uh, on, on his Antarctic flight um, <laughs> during Operation High Jump when he was supposedly surrounded by uh, a flying craft that uh, the, the the people who flew it, you know, uh, had, had a German accent and there were swastikas all over it. We should do um, a whole episode on High Jump. Oh, oh, it's it's a dynamite. Uh, God damn it! Yeah, right, go ahead. yeah. Okay. And 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 look, despite what anybody wants to say about you know, the bottom line of that whole whole of Operation I Jump is because a lot of people say, oh well, you know, the the diary of Admiral Byrd was by his son or something like that. It wasn't actually written by him. Sure, I I, I think there's you know that's probably true. Um, but there's still a lot of mysterious shit around Operation High Jump. For example, you know, Admiral Admiral Byrd is in. Uh, a short range plane and yet he flies around for over three hours like what the fuck did he see anyway that, that's something we could talk about in the future um but as far as you know what what can we look at concretely as far as plans that nazi germany had where, where what did they really want was it the thousand year reich what was it well the best thing that i can see that we have and just to keep it weird here on into the void is their most advanced not the glocka but their most advanced uh, a rocket that they had was not the V1, not the V2, not the New York rocket, even though the New York rocket, we knew exactly that was going to be kind of a V3. The idea behind the New York rocket was that it would be an ICBM that could reach New York from Germany. Uh, that was really advanced at the time, but they called it the New York rock, New York rocket because we knew where, you know, that's where they wanted it to go. That's where it was supposed to, that was the target. So the interesting thing is, is that the next rocket that they were developing and it got pretty far was called the Mars rocket. Now, if they named their rockets after their targets, where the hell did the Nazis want to go? <laughs> and when you look at, and, and again, this isn't ancient alien shit. This is the real deal. Uh, you know, they were looking to go far beyond uh, Earth. And, you know, that raises some some interesting questions. So what's the goal here? The goal is certainly a lot more than just our uh, pale blue dot. And anyway, I'll leave it with that weird point. But uh, if anyone else wants to get anything in, go for it. That was fucking perfect. Um, Space Nazis. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we should do one on high jump and like space Nazis. That would be yep. awesome. 
I'm totally down with that. Or we can go with a boring one next time and go with uh, libertarian history, which might actually be pretty interesting. I know Penguin's down for that. He loves that shit. Um, but I'll uh, tell a lot of juicy stories if we do that one. There <laughs> we go. Cool, cool. I mean, it'll be fun. I, I, yeah. I like it. Um, it's it's less weird, but I, I it'll be fun. Um, but no, I, I think we can wrap it there. That was a, a perfect ending. Um, but uh, I think what I, I would say to some things, some of the things up is a lot of the examples we bring up, like mm. the first thing we'll bring up, we'll bring up something that's actually pretty well known. And let's, let's say, okay, the general public, I'm not really talking about the general public. Maybe I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> um, IQ 105 plus listeners to podcasts. Yes, that filters some people. Well, filters for some people. Yeah, at least, no, well, on up, on up, on to <laughs> above that. But um, uh, open set above that. Yeah, okay. But we're bringing up fairly well-known examples. So if you know a little bit of history, I mean, yeah, it's, okay. It's pop history, but it actually goes further than that. And it's not like secret history. It's not like age. Like you said, it's not like ancient alien shit. There is a level of history, just one level beyond like operation paperclip brought Nazi scientists over. I mean, you know how many video games I was a kid. I learned that in like, that's okay. That's easy stuff. I learned about the Glocka from what was one of the video games. I forgot which one. Um, <laughs> I played so many video games about Nazi with Nazis in them, but anyways, um, and they're still they're still cranking them out, but um, which is very interesting that that's still so salient in our culture. Uh, but yeah, there's a there's just one level of totally verifiable, maybe just a little bit of conjectural, but basically verifiable hard history that you can do about. You know the forties on through on through the present, basically, but on through you know the the entirety of the Cold War in the nineties at the very least, um, where it's kind of shocking. Like if you take the worldview, and I guess how, let's just go ahead and how do we kind of wrap this up with the libertarian view? Uh, at least I want to kind of point this out that when I think about but beyond like the tradition of the the which i've been learning more about after the what i'm about to say the tradition of the old right and the tradition of the anti-war kind of conservative tendency and anti-imperialism conservative tendency that's existed for like perpetuity as far as like modern political state even yeah like early modern political distinctions have existed and that certainly influenced like rothbard coming from the old right and like all that stuff like 70s Rothbard and 70s libertarians at large, and this would cover just about anybody that would be willing to call themselves a libertarian. For the most part, maybe there might be dissenters as something that dead ends of the history. Um, but what were they reacting to um, in the Cold War as radically anti-war, anti-colonialism, anti-coercion, anti-status people? They were reacting. They were in a Cold War. They're not living in our age, which is a, which is under different historical paradigms. You know, current events and as, as we experience some historical paradigms, they're existing in the Cold War, and and they're existing when they're taking their radically anti-state, anti-imperialist views. Um. Which continue for today. So while like libertarian, like when Rothbardians take positions on interventionisms, even what amount to, and I think you can understand what I might be alluding to, very popular interventions that may be occurring today. Why do Rothbardians take that that 
anti-American, anti-U.S. government, anti-federal government, you know, uh, uh, view on, on the militarism and foreign policy and everything. That principled view, it comes from just like the, the, the Marxist Leninists and so have their reasons for this. They, they really do see this as like a global fascist empire nakedly because historically it has like a continuity with the stuff that we're talking about. And it continued throughout the Cold War. And when you're living in the 60s and 70s and you actually know about the stuff that's maybe not getting out to the general public, but it's not some secret conspiracy theory. And when World War II was only a couple of decades before, I think it's very salient from that vantage point. Um, what was animating? Because we know it was animating the Soviet Union. We know it was animating the Chinese and the Albanians and the, whoever else was communist at the time. But what was the origins of this U.S. kind of global policy and global experiment? Um, well, you can draw these historical continuities, including things not directly related or predating fascism in Nazi Germany, and really come to some just principled anti-imperialist opinions. Yeah, they knew what was coming. You know, they they, they saw what was coming. I think. No, it was happening. It was happening. Or, in yeah, the it was happening then yeah, as I mean, well. Right. Well, and also anti-fascist, just to put it that bl bluntly, yeah. like so. But um, very well said, Penguin. That was yeah. a banger. Um, Brian, we want to plug stuff. Yeah, uh, of course. To get more of of me, uh, go to sovereigntech.com. Uh, recently, been doing a nice little sub series of my own um, with my positively amazing wife, uh, Ellen Sovereign, uh, called Sovereign Tech X where we just let it ride and we talk about all kinds of wild stuff. Uh, and we've been doing an episode a week. So definitely, I think it's worth checking out. Um, I certainly love listening to my wife, so I hope you do too. <laughs> but yeah, I listened to those last two episodes. I really, really enjoyed those. Those were good. It yeah. Was, right on. Uh, very, a very, uh, you know, casual conversation too. You know, it was just guys are just riffing off of each other. You know, it's good. Kind of like we do here. I, I, yeah, I, I like very that similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Well, anything else? You got anything else going on? No, that's it for now. Uh, so, but always, uh, always things. Well, I was about to say always things in the oven, but I'm like, Ooh, we don't need to say that. It's that, not the one to end this with, Brian. <laughs> it doesn't okay. help that I've been wearing a kiss hat this whole time. And on video from the angle, all you see is. <laughs> on my head. Jesus, we are definitely getting are going to understand this. Yeah, but right. yes, he has been wearing an SS lightning bolt hat the entire time. <laughs> And, and you can every once every few minutes he turns his head and you can see that it's kiss. Oh my god, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting kicked off of everything. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, all, all synchronous here, folks. We're good. <laughs> well, Brian, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, always. always a blast. Uh, yeah. Everybody, be excellent to each fun. other, and we'll have to do another one of these again soon. I'm going to do the same thing I did last time. As soon as we get done recording this, I'm going to go text Brian. And we'll, yep. we'll schedule another one because otherwise we'll get busy and we'll forget and three months will go by. So right on. No, I'll be there. All right. Um, thanks again, peace, man. Peace, everyone. Um, peace. All right. Take care. Ciao. Later.